Welcome to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's podcast episode is called Be One Pointed, and I'm here to break down and explain thoroughly the five states of awareness. The yogis have classified five states of awareness that one is capable of experiencing through the medium of the mind. These various states of awareness influence our ability to concentrate and also affect our well-being or lack thereof. These five states of awareness have been listed in the Yoga Sutras as well as many other ancient yogic texts. The first state of awareness that one may experience at any given time on any given day is restlessness, or kshipta. Restlessness is governed by the guna rajas. And the word guna means a constituent of nature. So basically, a guna is a way of describing the way something is, the quality of some aspect of existence. And rajas, the guna rajas, means passion, fiery, or agitated. And so the state of restlessness is governed by the guna rajas. And the gunas change throughout the day as well, what's affecting us more. So whenever one is in a rajasic state, restlessness prevails. In general, restlessness is an agitated, fiery, activated mental and often highly emotional state that arises when one feels unstable in their surroundings. That's basically what restlessness is. It's whenever we're not happy with the scenario we in, desires arise from the mind, and then we follow those desires in an effort to change our outward circumstances. And the yogis often have said that the more we chase or follow desires, the more suffering we endure. So a state of restlessness is often a state of wanting to run away from something that we are uncomfortable with or being obsessed with achieving goals. That will also create restlessness. For example, for someone who practices a lot of yoga, their practice would be very restless if they were always trying to get to the deepest variation possible in any given pose. I'll often hear people say, I want to get all of these warm-ups over with so I can do all the fancy stuff. And by nature, that makes us lack presence. In my opinion, the true art of doing an asana, physical yoga practice, is that it allows me to be present in any given moment, whether I'm in upward facing dog or I'm in full scorpion pose, my desire, if you will, which is also stemmed from restlessness, even the desire to be present stems from restlessness. My desire for myself would be that I'm able to be fully present throughout the entire process. Now, the nature of the mind for most unseasoned practitioners, including myself, is that the mind wants to wander. So if it's not focused on achieving one pose or another, all of a sudden maybe the stomach growls and I'm hungry 
And so all of a sudden, my restlessness has carried me from being somewhat present in my yoga practice to making a batch of chocolate chip cookies in my kitchen. And restlessness is often very self-sabotaging. Anytime we are trying to be somewhere other than where we are, we are essentially stealing something from ourselves. And what we're taking from ourselves is the present moment. And as you all know, the present moment is where all the juice is of this life. So restlessness is the first state of awareness that one is capable of experiencing. And especially in our Western culture, where we're incredibly driven by ambition, restlessness is the prevailing mind state for most people. Always trying to chase the next goal or chase the next experience, or always needing to be entertained even, stems from a state of restlessness. There's always this thought that, oh, I'll be better if I can get to this place, or I'll be happy once I have this amount of money in the bank, or I'll be a good yoga teacher once I'm able to do fill-in-the-blank pose, but until then I won't be. All of that is self-sabotaging. And what I learned from living in the Caribbean, in a culture that moves at a slow pace, for the most part, where I was living, it was more countryside. So not the whole Caribbean moves at a slow pace, of course. There's cities and the like. But where I was in particular, I had this incredible teaching that there's really nowhere to go. And in every moment, that I'm aware of my restlessness, I attempt to remember this, that actually wherever I am, be it in total comfort and joy or total discomfort and grief, I'm actually in the perfect place for my process and my awakening. So essentially, restlessness can be described as trying to metaphorically chase the sunset. And as you know, it's impossible to ever catch it. I'm not saying don't set goals and don't be ambitious. I'm not saying don't get better at yoga. Of course, it's very rewarding to improve our lives in the ways we feel called for most of us. That's a major purpose of being alive, is to follow our dreams, follow our heart, and manifest them. But what I am saying is if we are trying to manifest our dreams from a place of running away from where we currently are, it becomes exhausting. It's like a cat scratching up the wall that it just can't climb. Whereas if we can surrender a bit more to being totally present in the moment at hand, we realize we're actually more productive because we are able to tune into the energy that is arising within ourselves in the here now and follow the guidance of that flow of energy. The second state of awareness is diluted or disturbed. And the word for that in Sanskrit is mudha. Mudha means diluted. And delusion is governed by the guna, so the aspect of nature, called tamas. And tamas means inertia, ignorance, darkness. And when one is in a tamasic state, they are under the veil of a heavy illusion. 
meaning they are totally projectile of all of their emotional qualities. It's someone who thinks the external world is actually constantly affecting them. And you might say, well, that's crazy. If someone steps on my toe, it's going to affect me. Well, it will affect your body. But why does someone stepping on your toe necessarily equate to annoyance with that person? That is a delusion. Someone else who's really worked through their emotional quality of delusion, kind of cleared some of the veils over their eyes, maybe someone who realizes this is all actually a dream, Maybe when you step on their toe, they just smile at you, take a deep breath, and move on. So whenever step, someone steps on your toe and the immediate reaction is annoyance, we have to ask ourselves, where is that coming from? That's coming from a state of ignorance, of not knowing that the annoyance was already within us. Someone stepping on the toe, or your toe, was simply a trigger for that annoyed state to arise. In last week's podcast, we talked about this too. Anytime we are having a reaction, meaning we are regurgitating a past emotional response based on specific stimulus, anytime we regurgitate and project that emotional reaction over and over, every time we receive that stimulus, we are in a tamasic or ignorant state. Because maybe back in the day, someone stepping on my toe would upset me. But if I'm willing to take a good look at myself and realize that annoyance was already within me, probably from something implemented long ago, then I can consciously decide to change my response to someone stepping on my toe. It might not happen all the time, but it's a powerful process to attempt to be aware of the energy rising in the body when someone steps on my toe. And then instead of going into autopilot and automatically reacting the same way I always would, I can instead sit with how I'm feeling and not try to throw it out onto someone else. So that's a powerful way to work through delusion is to sit with what's arising rather than projecting it onto the outside world. By nature, that is what projection is. It's like when you put a viewfinder over your eyes and you have one slide in there and you keep repeating the same role over and over, seeing the same thing. I often like to tell people, take the viewfinder off and see things as they are. Which basically means, realize everything that can change in this life, everything that is impermanent, is part of the illusion, which we call maya in Sanskrit. So when one is in a deluded or disturbed state, it means that the external circumstances of life is creating a sense that it's all real. And the more attached we are to things being real, set in stone, the more confused we become when things change. So a state of delusion is a state where one actually believes that things are permanent. 
So the practice of understanding impermanence is a transformative way to move oneself out of a deluded state. Practicing yoga is one of the most powerful ways to move out of a disturbed state. Because the minute you get on your mat, or maybe you're on your meditation cushion, either way, they're pretty equal, wouldn't you agree? The minute you approach yourself with your breath, with your awareness, the contents of the mind begin to drop and settle the way silt would settle at the bottom of a pond after being stirred up. So I know for me personally, if I'm ever upset, if I can find the mental strength just to get on my yoga mat and breathe and sweat it out, just through my willingness to be present rather than in the clouds of my own delusion, I'm able to move myself out of that state into brilliant, irreplaceable, present moment. The third state of awareness is distracted or intermittently stable. In Sanskrit, this is vikshipta. So vikshipta means distracted. And distraction is governed by the guna sattva. And sattva means purity, goodness, light. The state of being distracted arises when sattva is the prevailing guna in the mind and or the body. And yogic practices, healthy eating, healthy relationships, living in a safe, calm environment, all of these aspects of living help contribute to one being in a sattvic state. Of all the gunas, between rajas, which is passion, tamas, which is ignorance, and sattva, which is purity, sattva is quite obviously the most desirable guna to preside in. One who is sattvic by nature is naturally kind, is naturally able to let things go as they need to, rather than clinging on, which would be driven by rajas, desire, right? One who is sattvic is classically full of all the virtues, such as compassion, good listener, ability to discern what is going to make one feel good when they eat it, and what is going to make one feel restless or heavy. And it's fine to go through those experiences of feeling restless and heavy and deluded. But it's a really natural choice to move towards what is good for us more than what is self-destructive. So anyway, when one is in a sattvic state, that means their mind is intermittently stable. They fluctuate from being incredibly present in the moment to all of a sudden something external from the outside world or something internal like a thought or a memory arising in the mind will distract one away from the present state or the present moment. Take for example, you're walking down the street and admiring all the beautiful trees and birds and the little storefront windows 
and all the little window arrangements. And suddenly you see a friend of yours on the street. That friend is considered a distraction. And a distraction does not always mean a bad thing. It just means that something arose that suddenly pulled you away from the meditative state or the one-pointed state that you were previously in. Another example is bring it back to the yoga mat. Maybe you're practicing yoga and suddenly a mosquito starts flying around you. What do you do with it? Do you let the mosquito pull you away from your yoga practice and go on a rampage trying to kill it? Or do you just surrender and let the mosquito buzz around you and maybe allow it to bite you? And then maybe in the perfect moment right when it's biting you, you can lovingly kill it. Say, all right, reincarnate as a cockroach next time. Just kidding. (laughs) So the art of not allowing oneself to get distracted comes from the ability to fully commit to the present moment. I actually have used this as a spiritual practice because I tend to get distracted. Even before I sit down and do the podcast, I think there's all these little things I need to do. It's like, okay, I need to have some caffeine and I need to make sure I've got everything set up around me, which is natural, of course. But then the mind will want to grasp onto something else. Oh, well, now I'm a little hungry. I have to wait. Hold on. Oh, you know what? I actually probably should do yoga right now. The podcast can wait. All of these are distractions. And I know for myself what I need to get done in the day, right? If I always feed the distractions that arise then essentially I'm running around the block over and over rather than going a direct route towards the tasks at hand. Another example of something that can be a distraction is when a painful memory comes up in the mind. Perhaps you are having a really bad dream about something that happened in the past. And you wake up in the morning and that dream just puts you in a bad mood. Even though it didn't happen to you last night. Although some people may argue, well, did it? What differentiates what's real? Is the dream world real? Or is the quote, waking life real? The answer is neither. It's all a dream. Right? But if we start believing that dream we had in our sleep, our subconscious mind, if we believe what arises in our subconscious mind and take it to be something that affects us in the present moment long after we've woken up from the dream, we are allowing ourselves to get distracted away from the beauty of the present moment, away from the beauty of the love that is all around us. And you'll hear people say this a lot, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed It's like there is no wrong side of the bed. It's up to us whether we let something derail us and take us from the present moment or not. So someone might say, well, how do I deal with that then? It's like this. When you wake up from that bad dream and you feel disturbed, go to your breath. Lay there like you're in Shavasana, in relaxation pose. Be totally soft in your body. And start breathing deeply because the breath is the quickest way to balance the emotional body, 
The breath is directly linked to our emotions. So anytime a distraction arises, even going back to that mosquito buzzing around you as you do yoga, just keep breathing. When the mosquito bites you, feel the sensation of the mosquito biting you fully without running from it. And then it's no longer a distraction. In fact, that mosquito bite is an invitation to become fully present with the experience of it. The fourth state of awareness is one-pointedness or concentration, which is called ekagra in Sanskrit. It's also called ekagrata. It just depends on where it's referenced. I'm not exactly sure why, because I am not a, an established Sanskrit scholar, but one-pointedness is called ekagra. It's governed also by the guna sattva, or purity. And the state of one-pointedness is basically the state of being present and focusing on the moment at hand. One-pointedness is kind of like an arrow being shot straight at a target. That's the way my mind feels when I'm in a one-pointed state. Take it back to practicing yoga with the mosquito buzzing around you. If you can commit to the practice and the breath and the movement meditation fully, despite 20 mosquitoes buzzing you, you are in a one-pointed state. And here's the amazing thing. Let's say you are committed to the breath in the practice fully and you're in a one-pointed state. And then you consciously lower down onto your knees and shoo the mosquitoes or kill the mosquitoes and get them out of your field. You can essentially do that without letting them be a distraction because it's all about the way we hold our mind. If we hold our mind in a really tense place, then anything that doesn't go as planned is going to become a distraction or something to create delusion or something to create restlessness. When we commit to being fully present with whatever process and experience arises in life, then even if we have to change course, even if we have to essentially, quote, kill the mosquito, it doesn't derail us. We're still focused. We're still concentrating on the task at hand. Even after you shoo or kill the mosquitoes that are buzzing around you as you're doing yoga, if you're one-pointed, you just get straight back to it afterwards without allowing it to create a ripple or an agitation in your mind. And one-pointedness is a state that arises from mindfulness practices. One-pointedness comes from dedicated hours, normally, for most people, of seeking being present. So essentially, one-pointedness and being present are synonyms for each other. They mean the same thing, essentially. Because anytime you are fully present, or even 99% present, or 94% present, one-pointedness is the prevailing state of your awareness. It's like oil pouring from a steady stream straight down. There's no break in that line of oil. 
that's the way a one-pointed mind feels. Every moment, streaming through one. No disruption based on any external factor. And that doesn't mean life isn't happening. Life is still happening all around us, no matter what. But the practitioner or the yogi, or if you don't want to call yourself anything like that, the human or the spiritual being simply takes things as they come. The other day, my car almost broke down on the side of the road and the wheel locked up. It actually did break down, not almost. And I was barely able to turn the wheel. I was coming off the highway, but I had just come from giving a three-hour massage and my mind was very calm, very concentrated. When I realized my wheel would hardly turn, I had to crank on it because the power steering belt snapped off in the middle of the highway, apparently. Although I did feel the ripples of anxiety arise within me, I stayed true to course and managed to get myself to safety. Whereas in the past, when I was not able to do yoga because I didn't even know it existed when I was a teenager, for example, if that would have happened, I would have freaked out. My nervous system would have gone into full fight or flight for fear of my life, which is natural. Of course, these responses come up. The beauty of what I noticed the other day is that because I was in a one-pointed state, although I was bummed that I knew my car was going to need some expensive work done on it, I managed to stay true to course and take care of business in that moment, essentially. So distractions are not distractions if we are in a contemplative, concentrative state. Distractions are only distractions if we are in a restless, deluded, or already intermittently stable mental or emotional state, or both. Being one-pointed does require some effort initially, just like concentration. Take, for example, the first time you ever sat on your yoga mat to meditate or sat on your meditation cushion more accurately to meditate. You close your eyes and expecting everything to be tranquil like a beautiful green hillside with the sun shining and a clear blue sky. But instead, you close your eyes and it's like lightning and thunder and volcanoes erupting and every horrible person from your past coming into your mind's eye and the body starts aching and reminds you of this time you fell and hurt your knee or who knows what. But if you persevere, if you keep making effort to concentrate, if you keep making effort to be one-pointed, then all those emotional storms in the mind have no choice but to fall away. Because it's one thing or the other. It's either present moment, awareness, maybe that's coming with breath awareness, maybe you are beyond that where you don't need the breath awareness to be present. Anything you can do to become present will drop you into a concentrative state. It requires effort. So don't think it's just like 
You drop in and it's there. It requires effort to not let our emotions steal us from ourselves. It requires effort for most people to not get caught in the clouds of delusion of our own perception. It takes a very emotionally mature awareness to not take things personally. To realize that being insulted isn't real. That's just a byproduct of the ego, which is caught in the illusion that your body, your personality, your clout is permanent. If we can realize that nothing is personal, nothing is permanent, then suddenly it's not such a big deal what arises in the mind or the external circumstances. And one-pointedness will come a little easier at that point. The fifth state of awareness is restricted or controlled, which is called narodha in Sanskrit. A restricted state of awareness is beyond the gunas. It's when one has transcended needing to be any particular way. A controlled state of awareness is likened to the state of dhyana or meditation. Go back to the scenario of trying to concentrate on the meditation cushion. There will be a point for every practitioner where suddenly the concentration that was full of effort becomes effortless and the awareness is flowing like that steady stream of oil without break but without effort so one pointedness is where oftentimes there is effort to be that focused not always but most of the time a restricted or controlled state of awareness is where there is no longer any effort needed to be in the present moment so all of the great gurus and spiritually awakened beings naturally reside in a restricted or controlled state of awareness. Dharma Mitra says yoga makes you self-controlled. And what he means by that is through purifying the mind, one will no longer be subject or victim to their own desires. One will no longer be a victim to their restlessness their delusions or their distractions. Instead, one will simply see those things rise and fall as they are. Whenever we are able to fully accept things as they are, they no longer afflict us. They lose their power over us because we're not clinging to things being a certain way that our ego had in mind for us. So it's not that the ego drops completely, it's just that we are no longer run over by all of the egoic desires that may arise. So for example, if you're meditating there and your belly starts growling, if you are in a restless state, you're already up making a smoothie. If you're in a deluded state, you're telling yourself you shouldn't be hungry. If you're in a distracted state, you're simply letting the growling of your belly take you away from your meditation. A one-pointed state will notice that the stomach is growling, might note to oneself, hmm, body is hungry, but stay on course with the meditation. One in a controlled or restricted state of awareness realizes that whether they get up and make a smoothie or not, 
the meditation never stops. And that's the difference, is that someone who is fully restricted in their mind realizes that every moment is a moment fully immersed in the bliss of this existence. Every moment is an opportunity for meditation to arise. Someone in a restricted state of awareness dwells in that place. There's no other option. The meditation can never be taken from them. Their ability to be fully present and roll with whatever comes their way without letting it hurt them or, quote, make them feel a certain way. They're capable of total enlightenment. And in fact, people who are in that mind state often are completely enlightened. They no longer see separation. They realize that when something's arising in their scenario, all they have to do is show up. And everything else takes care of itself. So an enlightened master has a controlled awareness continually. And this is because they seat their awareness within the Supreme Self, which is the indwelling, unchangeable spirit that resides in all of us. Someone who's fully self-realized is exactly as it sounds. They realize that they can situate their mind in the witnessing faculty of the self. And our ability to witness everything unfold and realize I am not the doer. I am simply the conduit of energy to flow through me. That arises through our commitment to being one-pointed for much time, many lifetimes. Once we dwell in a somewhat continual, one-pointed, present, concentrated state, meaning concentrating on whatever is happening in the moment, eventually that becomes effortless. And that's when we realize that heaven is not something in the sky. It's not somewhere you go when you die. It's something you experience in every moment. When our desires no longer have a pull on us, where we no longer feel a need to fulfill those desires through outward action or outward relating, then every moment is full of nectar. Even ones where other people might not be enjoying it, you can still be enjoying it. You can be in joy. That doesn't mean you're insensitive when someone else is suffering. It's just that we become able to see when that person's suffering and they're in all of their darkness, we still see their light. We still see their divinity within them because we anchor our own awareness in our highest divinity. We can't help but see it in everyone else. The first three states of awareness I discussed, restlessness, delusion and distraction are states of awareness we all cycle through on any given day. The last two states of awareness are states of awareness that arise 
through purification of the mind. If you're wondering right now, well, how do I become one-pointed? Do your practice, whatever it is. If your practice is cooking elaborate meals, cook elaborate meals and smell the smells. Feel what the food feels like under your hands as you chop it. Notice the way the food hits the pan and the way the oil pops and sears slowly. As you eat the food, savor every bite. If your practice is yoga, don't rush. Be as present for your first sun salutation as you are for full scorpion pose. And perhaps we can all work on recognizing the equality of all experiences. Nothing is good or bad unless we are in delusion that there is only one way to be. Everything we can experience is of equal value because every experience has the potential to bring us fully into the present moment. In the present moment is where the magic happens. Whether you're comfortable or not, better to be present and be here now than to be somewhere else because somewhere else doesn't exist. No matter what, we are always here now. It's just a matter of whether we realize it or not. So be one-pointed, my friends, and realize bliss is always right next to you. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Aloha.
this is the first step of self-realization. And the pranayama will bring you mental power. You'll be able to control your emotions. And gradually you become self-controlled. So yoga is really wonderful. Because in a very short time, one year, two years, three years, you may reach your enlightenment.